Movies and Booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk 087 1400 106 is our WhatsApp number. You can send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com or follow us on Twitter. This day week, we will be in the Triscoll Arts Centre in the heart of Cork City with thanks to our friends in Marks and Spencers uh, for our next outside broadcast. It's a Movies and Booze outside broadcast. Bit of chat, some fantastic music and of course Movies and Booze as well. If you'd like to come along and be part of the audience, you can go to newstalk.com forward slash events. Newstalk.com forward slash events. That's today week. January the 26th in the Triscoll Arts Centre. Uh, today, though, in the studio, we're joined by Fanula Jones, Dean McGuinness and Chris Wasser. Good afternoon to you all. Hi, guys. Uh, lovely to have you here. Someone's already, Aideen and Ennis already texted in to say, I'm sitting by the radio all day waiting to hear Fanula <laughs> take on Paul being banished last night. The last two <laughs> nights of TV have been nothing short of iconic. Brilliant. What does Honestly, that mean? stunning. This so I've talked about <laughs> Paul on the show before as part of the traders. This absolute sociopath man who was just hell-bent on winning the game, got his comeuppance last night. His fellow trader, Harry, came up on him and said, you know what, done with this. Managed to turn all the rest of them against him. And he got booted out, so no chance of him getting the money. Delighted. Thrilled. Okay. All right, that that that's and this is on traitors. This not, is on not, the traitors on yes, BBC. Yes, yes, not on 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 Love Island. Apparently, no. he had been on Deal or No Deal, and he got ten p on really? Deal. Really? No, yeah, well, he's, <laughs> a he's a kind of a serial uh, serial. Seems, yeah, uh, um, he's yeah. a he's a background in stand up comedy, which he hadn't kind of been putting forward as part of his like story because you know they can they can all lie about their jobs or like their yeah. familial collection connections. So yeah. All right. Okay. Interesting. Right. Okay. Well, we've got that out of the way. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's uh, I've got that sorted out. Uh, right. So it looks like a couple of tinnies you brought in today. Dean. Yeah, we, we've got the deposit scheme starting up in a few weeks' time, and unfortunately, uh, for smaller beers, there's going to be a lot of beers potentially disappearing off the market. But we're hoping that we can have a chat with the nice people in return to get it uh, changed. You need to have a little logo on the can um, to be able to import a beer after um, when the scheme kicks in fully. There's a number of dates that apply. Um, so these are cans that are available at the moment that might not be available in, in a few months' okay, time. Okay, and, and the deposit scheme uh, entails what exactly? So basically, uh, for plastic bottles and for cans, when you buy... A can or a plastic bottle that is in the scheme after the 1st of February, you'll have to pay an extra 15 cent. And then when you bring it back, you get your 15 cent back. Uh, so um, it's a, a scheme. It's a great scheme. It should hopefully massively improve recycling and help the environment. So that's absolutely superb. And it's just a question of uh, can we get it to work so that we actually have uh, really good specialty beer out there as well? Because um, to print the logo onto the can, uh, a brewery needs to um, print about 250,000 to 500,000 cans at a time. Uh, uh, right, so and yeah, you can oversticker the can, but overstickering the can is uh, a, a, a massive environmental challenge. That you have to take the plastic off the case and oversticker it, which is a whole pile of work, and then you have to get more plastic and put it back on the case. Um, and you need to have machinery to be able to to do that. So it's just uh, it, overstickering the cans with the logo isn't really a, a feasible thing. Okay, so these two non-stickered beers, what, what, what are they? <laughs> I enjoy them. They're uh, from Moosehead, and we're having a chat about. But families and breweries. Um, uh, just uh, before Christmas, there was a, a bit of a news story out that Old Brother Brewery.
Brewing, an Irish brewery, is uh, in the process of uh, expanding their brewery and they're moving the brewery from one site to another, uh, which is great to see. And uh, Oh Brother Brewing is three uh, guys who are brothers who have set up a brewery. And I was thinking about family and brewing. And in Ireland, we kind of don't have family brewers. We have Uncle Arthur, which is a large global corporation. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I don't know if it qualifies as a kind of... executives, if you will, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you look at other countries, um, in Belgium, um, usually um, family brewers would have minimum four or five generations. Roman is its 12th, 13th generation now Mm. of family brewing. Um, In the States, it's it's much harder because... um, uh, and funny enough, uh, Budweiser used to be kind of a family brewery in, insofar as August Bush the third was the third of the August Bushes mm. in um, in AB and Anheuser Busch, um, but they've sold out now to Winbev. So even as a global corporation that's a family brewery, they've sold to another global corporation to become an even bigger global corporation. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, yeah, in uh, with uh, prohibition uh, in the kind of late twenties and early thirties. That meant every brewery in the States effectively shut down, which meant the chances of having family breweries continuing is difficult. But uh, this is from Moosehead in Canada, and that they are um, in their sixth generation now of the family. Wow, that's um, impressive. Originally set up by Susanna Oland in 1876. Uh, and again, unusual that it was a woman in charge of a brewery, but not so much then because brewers were more likely women than men in, oh, in those interesting. days. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and is, is going through now to the sixth generation. So we've got okay. Moosehead Small Batch Hoppy Light Lager first, and we've got Derek's uh, IPA, and the Derek's IPA is named after Derek Oland, who's... The fifth generation of the family. Okay, all right. So cool. is an actual Derek, right? That's, yeah. uh, that's important to uh, establish that. Now, in a, in a few minutes, Fanul will be uh, um, describing to us what fire crotch means, which Perfect. is apparently is uh, <laughs> isn't unrelated to Mean Girls, or is related to Mean Girls. Uh, Chris Wasser was looking kind of puzzled, uh, but don't worry, Fanul, I'll fill you in uh, later on. I'll make you really uncomfortable uh, in the process of doing that. Now, this isn't a st- this isn't a straightforward remake of the old Mean Girls. As it's it's an unusual one. It's gone through the machine a few times, um, so it's kind of like it's a little bit like what we had with the producers or or Hairspray, where mm. it was you know a straight talking film with no song and dance routines, became a very successful stage musical, and then was turned back into a film. So that's essentially what Mean Girls is. We had the film twenty years ago, twenty years ago, which is a little bit strange, mm. um, and that was turned into a successful uh, Broadway musical by Tina Fey, by her husband, an awful lot of talented people involved. It was a huge hit, and now that has been turned into a film. So it's a remake, but with a musical flavour, basically. Okay. And yeah, that's a, that'll enough. be the first film. We'll uh, and the end we start from, couldn't uh, this is apocalyptic end of the world stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's parenthood, new parenthood at the end of the world, which sounds insanely stressful. Um, and it is based on a novel by Megan Hunter. It's adapted by Alice Birch, who was uh, a writer on Normal People. And it's got a great cast in it. Jodie Comer's in there, Joel Fry, Mark Strong, and Benedict Cumberbatch, who actually helped uh, get the film off the ground. So a bit of a, a, a cli-fi disaster thriller. Yeah, and this set in England and it's it's mostly flooding people yeah, are dealing pretty, with Yeah, it's pretty much London is underwater. Uh, everyone get the hell out. Um, so yeah, we have a, a couple who are just have just welcomed the new baby into the, into the world and they have to get out of London and head for the hills and, and just society just begins to crumble very quickly. Things always fall apart so fast. 
Well, usually an hour and a half to two hours. It's uh, a very uh, five minutes. Everyone's takes. panicking. Yeah. Uh, people should keep that in mind uh, <laughs> uh, for the future. Uh, now, you probably no doubt will both have opinions on this. Uh, like Andrew Scott, they're saying the BAFTAs, Andrew Scott was snubbed. Yeah. It sounds like it was a party and then, you know, no one would talk to Andrew Scott. <laughs> Poor Andrew Scott, yeah. No, but I think this was a big shock from the BAFTAs. So we've gotten a good turnout in terms of Irish nominations. You know, Killy Murphy, again, up for Oppenheimer. Barry Cohen, up for Saltburn, which I'm going to be honest, he's very good in that movie. I'm not sure that movie should be nominated for any awards. It was good, maybe not awards good, but anyway. I, I, I felt the same. Yeah, I, like, it, it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, like, oh, right. So we're yeah. all in agreement. Oh, it's, like, it's, yeah. good, like fun. Three stars. A good, yeah. th- a good three star film. I don't regret it. But like, it was fine. But the story is a, a, a tired old trope, really. Oh, it's, it's Brightheads totally. revisited, you mm. know, done a million. You know, Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yeah. Derivative. Yeah. Uh, except with a bit of, you know, sexy stuff yeah. thrown in. Yeah. Weirdy Weird. sexy stuff. Weirdy sexy <laughs> yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Barry Cohen's nominated, as I mentioned. Um, but Paul Meskel is nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category for. Um, All of Us Strangers, which he stars in opposite Andrew Scott, who is the lead of that film and was kind of being pegged as getting a nomination here. Like mm. he would also be kind of in the running. There's talk around him for the Oscars. You know, he's just come off a Golden Globes nomination as well. It was always like Andrew first. Paul is never really in the conversation for this particular film. I haven't seen it yet. I'm seeing it tonight. I'm very excited. Um, so that was considered, yeah, quite a big, um, a big snub and a big shock for poor Andrew Scott because he's also the lead character in the film like yeah. Paul Mescal is his his lover who kind of comes into his life but it's the central story is about Andrew's character you know so bit of a shock there I think yeah and uh, well also people were saying Lily Gladstone uh, yes also snubbed yeah um, herself and Andrew Scott in a corner just talking to each other in the snubbed <laughs> yeah. club yeah, yeah. Uh, the, she's the star of Martin Scorsese's Kills the Flower Moon obviously she's been left out of the best actress category uh, they reckon it was Vivian Opera who got the nomination for British comedy Ray Lane again not a film I've seen but again she's a strong contender for the Oscars so I think people were kind of questioning that as well. They're the two biggest snubs. After that, it's kind of, you know, it's poor things across the board, got 11 nominations. I think Oppenheimer is the most nominated with 13 nominations. So, bar that, it's kind yeah. of yeah, much the same. So. so, do you think it was a, a snub? Oh, it's baffling. I've seen yeah. the film and it is outstanding. And and to have this big party celebrating this film and to invite Paul Mescal into that party, Claire Foy has been nominated, Andrew Hay has three nominations for directing, writing, be- outstanding British film. To not have then the guest of honour and Andrew Scott very much is the guest of honour here he is he's what makes like, it's a good story but he just completely elevates it and to not have him on, on that shortlist is just puzzling and okay. I don't know who I'd replace Barry Kilgan is very good it's a great performance by Barry Kilgan in a, in a wobbly mm. film maybe I'd replace him uh, maybe I'd replace um, Bradley Cooper because Bradley Co- I, I really liked Maestro but Cooper's performance in that film it's an impersonation it's a, yes, a party yeah, trick yeah, yeah. so to ha- not have Andrew Scott in there if I was him I'd be very annoyed but look that corner with Lily Gladstone in it that's a great party yeah. Just yeah. two of them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're better than all those other. Look, those are. Uh, uh, somebody <laughs> wants to know uh, opinion on Barbie not getting a BAFTA nom for best movie or director. Think it's a bit sexist. Yeah, the best director category is weird because mm-hmm. Anna Higgs, the chief of BAFTA, came out and she said that for every three films that are submitted directed by a man, there's only one film submitted by a woman. So it's great to have one female director nominated. But there are five male directors in it. And a year where you had. Past Lives directed by Celine Song in a year where you had Barbie directed by Greta Gerwig that is not good enough so yeah something needs to change there how you can have Barbie not nominated for the best film of the year the best director is just insane yeah 
Right, fire crotch. Fire crotch. Uh, uh, Lindsay cool. Lohan has had her feelings hurt, uh, uh, apparently, uh, through the use of this phrase. Yeah, there's a specific joke in the new Mean Girls musical movie adaptation that Chris is going to talk about. This isn't really a spoiler. It's a kind of a throwaway comment um, that Megan Thee Stallion makes. Uh, she makes like a cameo as part of like, it's kind of this social media montage that is talking about Katie Heron, who's the central character, she at the, about the talent show. Um, so Megan Thee Stallion is talking about that and talking about the fact that Katie's character obviously has red hair, originally played by uh, uh, Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan. Uh, Meg Thee Stallion says, Y2K Fire Crotch is back. For anyone who doesn't remember what Y2K Fire Crotch is, it's a reference to something that was said by Brandon Davis. He's a music manager and I think I think him and Lindsay Lohan were dating back in the in the naughties days. Anyway, he referred to her to her as Firecrotch in a 2006 paparazzi video. Um, and Lindsay's reps have come out to say that they've been like very disappointed about the fact that it's they've kind of used that nearly against her. I don't know if that was the intent. I don't think it was. But mm. I can kind of understand her ire because she's been very supportive of the new film and out doing lots of promo and the red carpet and stuff like that. She's very much been given her blessing to this film and to and Gary Rice who's taking over the role of um of KD. So yeah, I can I kind of get it. I yeah, get it. Yeah, what what does fire crotch mean? Well just as in the sense <laughs> that you want me to okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely I'm walking myself out. Well, like it's hanging here like you know, talk about a big furry uh, elephant in the yeah, corner of the room. Yeah. It means yeah. to have red pubic hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't see why that's a bad thing. Well, I yeah, <laughs> but it was absolutely used against her in a way to be like disparaging and yeah, sexist. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. By a person who she was potentially, I can't remember, but I'm 99% sure she was in a sexual relationship with. So, you know, yeah. Oh, not I great. mean, apart from, you know, he's a total scumbag yeah, for making exactly. a comment like that. I think the, the idea is, that, like, it's red is, you know, actually that's like gingerist. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think the yeah. Megan Thee Stallion comment, I think the Megan Thee Stallion line was, yeah. yeah, perfect, was absolutely meant to like ingest and in a sense of, it, sure. like, again, yeah. trying to take the power back and like ownership or whatever. Lindsay doesn't see it that way. And I kind of think she's entitled to because it was weaponized. Yeah, her. because it was a horrible thing to happen to her in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I'm standing up for Lindsay here. Do you want to just say fire crotch again? Yeah. Just... No, no, I think we've said enough now. Perfect. I think we've, uh, we've burned that image into people's minds. So uh, with, with that image in everyone's minds, let's have a drink. So, yeah, something, something to, to calm down the heat. Yeah. Uh, so what we've got here, we've got two um, beers. Now, with family brewers, what can be nice is that family brewers can sometimes do stuff just because they like to do it and they like the idea of doing it. We've got two beers that are very, quite, very close to each other in mm. style. Um, both small batch beers. The first one is Hoppy Light Lager. Um, it's a 3.8% session IPL. Ah, uh, what's an IPL? So IPL, yeah. Well, basically, they've taken the idea of an India Pale Ale and then they shorten that to IPA. And then they basically have taken everything that could possibly be definitive about an uh, India Pale Ale and they've changed it. So you've got dark India Pale Ales, red India Pale Ales. They've changed the, the type of grains that they use. So you have rye Pale Ales and uh, rye, rye IPAs and so on. Um, and the A part of it is ale. So they figured if we're going to change everything about the pale, we might as well change everything about the yeast as well. <laughs> so an IPL is an India Pale Lager. Right. Okay. Now, there never was an India Pale Lager per se, as mm. in there wasn't lagers being brewed and shipped off to the colonies in India. So it's generally not cold 
called an India Pale Lager per se. It's called an IPL because they want to kind of differentiate it from the idea of an India Pale Ale, but it's an India Pale Lager. Okay. And it's a session IPA, no, IPL, um, because the other thing that they've changed about um, IPAs is to go across the entire spectrum of ABVs. So when you've got um, um, India Pale Ales or, India, uh, or IPAs or IPLs that are down around the kind of 2.8 up to about 4.5, 4.6%, they're considered to be sessions. Um, around the 5 to 7%, that would be kind of a classic range for an IPA or an IPL. And then once you go above 7 uh, upwards, you're getting into double IPAs, imperial IPAs. This is the session level, so it's 3.8%. So mm, it's kind yeah. of an easy drinking and so on. Lager gives you a nice clean uh, flavour, um, pale colours, so you've got nice kind of basic uh, malt character and then absolutely beautiful hot character into it. A whole pile of um, fruit coming through. Um <coughs> There's a, a little bit of a trip through melon land. So you've got some watermelon, yes, uh, is, yeah. Le- yeah. melon, uh, and, and uh, just a really good thing. And now the, the, the balance in the beer is really, really nice. They've, they've done a good job on the balance. There is bitterness there, but it doesn't come through with strong bitterness. And there is a pine character from the hops as well. Again, doesn't come through as, as strong uh, pine character. But when you go down to 3.8%, the base of flavour that you've got in the beer is an awful lot lower than you would be yeah, on the 6-7% yeah. level. So you need to make sure that everything is in balance with it. So it comes through as absolutely beautiful, delicious, fruity, um, hoppy um, uh, lager at a, a reasonable level. For, for people who are um, on dry January, this would hardly be like drinking it at all. <laughs> oh yeah, barely, barely. The, uh, are these the only people using the, the acronym IPL? Is it, no, no, it would uh, be kind of a general spread? style. No, it's yeah, not, yeah. A sacrilege or anything? No, no it's, it's a, a thing. That there are um, about 110 different beer styles that are, have been defined by uh, BJCP, but like uh, there are so many kind of hybrid beer styles and crossovers and beer mm. styles now that it's it's getting a little bit crazy uh, to keep track of it. it yeah. would, th- th- there must be an easier way of doing it than the way that they're doing it. Uh, well, that's absolutely lovely. Uh, I must say, it was uh, it was very refreshing. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. Movies and booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer on News Talk. May I have everyone's attention, please? Eyes to the front of the room. You may notice we have a new student joining us today. She just moved here from Kentucky. Kenya. Kenya. Her name is Caddy. It's Katie. Katie Heron. My apologies. I will commit that to memory. KD, like the Canadian songstress KD Lang. And heron, like the illegal street drug. Thank you, Caddy. It's Katie. Katie, hi. I'm Ms. Norbury. I'll be your homeroom teacher. This is your roster. I see you also have you for AP Calculus. You must have had excellent teachers at your old school. Oh, I was homeschooled. Homeschooled? Oh, that's a fun way to take jobs from my union. Right, okay. Has it been rewritten a bit? I don't remember that KD Lang line in the original. Yeah, there are some jokes that have been taken out of the film. There were some jokes that were written for the musical. There were new jokes for the film. It's it's a weird thing because now mm. we have three of the... We have three Mean Girls, you know. If you ever get a chance to see it, uh, the, the stage musical, you've got that, you've got the original, and now you've got this. I went into this thinking, why do we... You know, like, yeah. The, the first one is quite funny. Uh, the musical's great, but why why does it need to go through the rinser again? And if, But I was a little bit optimistic uh, because Paramount had decided not to 
dump it on their streaming service, which was the original plan, but to actually give it a cinema release. So surely there must have been some sort of test screening. They thought, well, this is going to look great on the big screen or this will make more money for us if we mm. put it on the big screen. Um, and I'm really glad they did. I had such a great time with this. I really wasn't expecting it at all. Um, and about halfway through, I started to think it makes sense to to make this thing a musical because it's it's inherently ridiculous. It's such a silly concept. They're such silly characters. It's such a silly story. Uh, let's have them sing and dance and be aware of it as well. It has yeah. this nice self-awareness about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like people might be confused going into it. Uh, I'm, I'm loving the clips going around of, 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 of American audiences in particular sitting there and realizing maybe one or two songs in. Oh, this is... This is like this the whole way through. They've, <laughs> they've, uh, they've Sweeney Todd us, basically. You remember yeah. um, Sweeney Todd came out about 20 years ago and just audiences were just horrified that Johnny Depp was singing his lines. Um, it's the, kind of the same thing here, but everyone performs their, their songs, well, at least like some of the, some of the smaller ones in a way that kind of lets us know, yes, this is ridiculous, but, uh, but, just, but just go along with it. Um, and it's quite inventive too. It's not just everyone just stand there in the centre and we'll do exactly the same thing as we did on the stage. A little bit of you know, thought has gone into it. There's, there, there are numbers here that performed at um, you know, the, the, the famous Halloween party sequence where they at least try to make it look like a, you know, a, a flashy horror film. Like a, little mm. bit of, a little bit of thought has gone into it. Um, it's still the same storyline. Uh, it's still the story of Katie Heron, who is this sheltered US teenager who spent most of her life outside of America. In this case, she's been in Kenya, where her mom, Jenna Fisher, is an academic. Wonderful casting. Brilliant casting there, with Jenna ah. Fisher playing Anguri Rice's mother, and then the great Busy Phillips playing uh, Renee Raff's mother. She's Regina George. They just, they're the head off each other. Like, a little bit, yeah, again, a lot of effort has gone into the casting there. Uh, she starts up in high school. Uh, she meets these two cynical outsiders. They teach her everything she needs to know about where she should be sitting, who the plastics are, and a plan is made to kind of infiltrate the plastics. But obviously you know, uh, Angori Rice's Katie Heron realises that she quite likes the attention. You know, she quite likes yeah. the plastic. Yeah. Uh, so it's exactly the same plot. So maybe listeners are thinking, why bother? Because, it, again, I think it works better as a musical. I think it's it's very funny as a musical. It's quite inventive. Uh, the songs are quite catchy. Um, I think Regina George, especially, is just so much more interesting as a bratty musical diva. When she steps into the canteen for the first time, she starts singing, my name is Regina George and I'm a massive deal. That's funny. That is. <laughs> and Rachel McAdams was so funny in the original, but I, I just, I had, I, at times, I know it might seem sacrilege, I at times had a better time with this than I did with the original. Ah, all yeah, right. Okay. Wasn't expecting. Uh, I know Fanula has seen it as well. Did you feel the same? Yeah. I liked it a lot. I think it's really fun. I think it's really funny. I don't think it's trying to reinvent the wheel with it. And Renee Rapp as Regina George is just brilliant because she'd yeah. actually played Regina George on Broadway as well. Like, So she has ah, the chops. Right. Okay, yeah. She's unbelievable. I think the casting for the two new plastics as well. Fantastic. I loved it. It was so much yeah. fun. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, and, now, I, mean, and I suppose you can't give spoilers to this at all because people, you know, people oh, would there, have there, seen there, the original. There, there's a couple of surprises in there. There's yeah. a couple of little things which I won't ruin. And also, the th- one of the things I really loved was the fact that the cynical best friends who I mentioned, uh, you've got Alia Cravalho playing Janice and Yakel Spivy playing Damien. They share a lot more of the spotlight. They are given so much more to do and I'm glad because they're the funniest characters and at times they're like this, you know, two-person Greek chorus just kind of explaining everything that's going on or kind of just like winking at the audience about the whole 
Yes, we know we're singing and dancing, but it's still it's still effective. It's still relatable. Um, yeah, better than any of us had any right to expect, I think. Okay. Uh, someone wants to know, are the iconic scenes still in it? Like the Christmas show and the on Wednesday we wear pink. On Wednesdays we wear pink. Uh, one of them is still trying to make fetch a thing and the Christmas show thing is still there. A lot of the scenes, though, it's not just a direct copy of the scenes. Uh, again, I keep saying this, but effort has gone into, look, we can't just tell the, the same jokes the same way. Yeah. Let's mix it up a little bit. And some lovely little cameras. Tina Fey is back in there uh, casting herself as the as the as the maths teacher again. You've got John Hamm in one in one case as this uh, as this just repulsive gym teacher uh, who also like teaches uh, sex ed. Uh, it is comical. It's fun. Uh, it never feels. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, I mean, actually, since Fargo, John Hamm is like doing a lot of like disgusting people. He's roles. enjoying himself. Yeah, well, yeah, he used to be like Mr. Handsome. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like he spent uh, the years at, like the first few years after Mad Men trying to find his next Mad Men. He's like, no, I'm gonna just enjoy myself have yeah. fun yeah okay good okay well that sounds great yeah I'm, I'm, I'm kind of very pleased to hear that that uh, sometimes a remake is like oh my god why did you bother uh, right couple of uh, bits of biopic news mm-hmm. uh, now the first one is about Richard Simmons I think on this side of the Atlantic probably a lot of people wouldn't even know who that was yeah I think if you saw a photo you yeah. would m- eventually make the connection but he's like a f- I don't even think he was intentionally meant to be funny but he's like a, a fitness kind of personality dance yeah he was kind very of camp very camp well, extremely camp possibly, still is probably yeah. he's still alive um, he, or he is yeah, yeah. As, we will, as we will learn um, Paulie Shore a big comedy actor from the 90s he's kind of been proposing this biopic about Richard Simmons well I don't know if it was even just him but people have always made the connection that they look very similar right and that if there ever mm. is a biopic that it should be Paulie Shore and he's actually playing him in a, a short film that's premiering at Sundance, Sundance this year called The Court Jester and this week then it was announced that there's actually going to be a full biopic and Paulie Shore is going to play him and everyone found that very interesting, whatever. But then Richard Simmons comes out of the woodwork because he's kind of gone to ground. Nobody's heard from him in, in years. years and years yeah. and years. He's come out, I think it was 12 hours after the news broke to basically say, I think he wrote on Facebook, to say that, you know, Polly Shore wants to do this movie, whatever. Uh, I've never given my permission for this movie, so don't believe everything you read. I no longer have a manager and I no longer have a publicist. I just try to live a quiet life and be peaceful. Thank you for all the love and support. So will this even end up happening? Who Well, I suppose he can't prevent it. Well, yeah, there's that as well, yeah. Yeah. No, because what puzzled me about is is that, okay, great, you're going to make a biopic about somebody. So do they have a compelling life story? We've just told Richard Simmons' compelling life story. He He had a fitness club, he became famous selling fitness stuff, appeared on lots of talk shows, had a few guest bits on on TV and that's it. Yeah. yeah. How is that a movie? And your man that's doing it, the, who's supposed to be attached to directed is Jake Lewis and um, he went viral a couple of years ago for a short about uh, Robin Williams and he got Jamie Costa to play Robin Williams and it went viral because of more so Jamie Costa's performance. So like, again I don't know Jake Lewis he could be a great director but we don't also have a lot to go on in terms Mm. of actually making that translation to a longer form project as well with this I don't know it's all because it was a whole because I just looked up because I didn't know anything about Richard Simmons just his life to see you know what's the big story here He he doesn't seem to have any great struggles other than in like 2016 or so, he just gave it up and went home. And then the tabs in uh, in the states kept running stories saying his he'd been kidnapped by his housekeeper, mm. and this and he was suing them and in saying and because it, it got to the point that the cops called in and said, "Are you okay?" And then yeah. the cops issued a statement saying he's perfectly fine. He's just living at home. Mm. Uh, unless they're going to start making stuff up about him. 
I don't see how that's, you know, yeah. biopic. It's weird. Yeah, bit weird. Uh, now, uh, Anthony Kidd is from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I imagine there's a story there. Yeah, there is. Is it a palatable one? That's questionable. Um, it's based <laughs> on his memoir, Scar Tissue. Um, that's in the works. Universe Pictures are currently developing it. Kiddis is obviously going to produce. Uh, Brian Grazer is also on board. He produced Apollo 13 and A Beautiful Mind. Um, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers manager, uh, Guy Osiri as well. And it's going to take a candid look at Kiddis as an artist, addict and ringleader because he had a very unconventional life and uh, very unconventional upbringing with his um, dad in LA in the 70s and 80s. No word on who's going to play him or how much of his life it's going to look at in terms of, you know, like what point in time up to Red Hot Chili Peppers or whatever. That memoir though is like, there's a relationship that's documented in that memoir with a a girl who is underage. So are they going to cover that at all? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that there won't yeah. be. It won't be a huge clothes budget, I'd imagine. Yeah. Not one shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no wardrobe. No wardrobe. Flowing cloth. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Movies and booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer on News Talk. Now, anyone but you. Uh, uh, TikTok saved that film Is am I overstating it? No you're actually not overstating it I would say I still haven't seen it but I know a couple of listeners have texted him before saying that they really liked it it's a rom-com Sydney Sweeney Glenn Powell actually based on Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing mm. it was released over Christmas which is usually like kind of a death knell for some films and kind of opened to really lowly kind of box office figures but it's basically like it's well made its budget now because of this is not a spoiler but there is a very prominent song in the film and it features in the end credits. It's Natasha Benningfield's Unwritten. And basically because of that song, people are kind of being prompted to, it's put the song back in people's memory in the same way that like with Murder on the Dance Floor with Saltburn. Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of people make TikTok videos of them in the cinema, leaving the cinema, uh, like uh, soundtracked with that song. So it's basically kind of given it a massive bump. So I think it was, the budget for it was $25 million and I don't have the global box office, but in terms of America, it's made, I think it's about to pass the $100 million mark, considering Crikey. when it opened, it only made $8 million in that uh, weekend. But yeah, people are, it's become a thing that now even people are going so that they can make the TikTok video to Unwritten of them like spinning around being like, today is where your book yeah. begins, the rest is still unwritten, etc., etc. So yeah. That's mad. mad. Yeah. Does TikTok do that a lot for movies? Yeah, I think so. They're doing a lot with Saltburn anyway. Yeah. yeah. Even if you go well, back to... Yeah, obviously, that's just if porn, anyone, really. If, <laughs> if anyone remembers Top on Maverick, who could yeah. forget? Class, yeah. One of the best films of all time. Miles Teller's <laughs> beach volleyball scene where he's like, woo! And he's like, shimmying and the pecs and they're all oiled. Like yeah. that went viral and that kind of gave it a boost in a way. So, okay. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did watch that. Through the, uh, during the, I didn't actually watch it during the Christmas. I can only get halfway through. Really? Only maybe even 40%. Through. Halfway through Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. We are. Sean. No, I just. Retired. No, no, I just wanted to slap them all. It was just <laughs> such hackneyed old crap. Uh, and oh, how it was dare like, you? Know, how and, and, and dare I know you? it's kind of camp and you can predict it all and maybe it's feel good. It just didn't make me. It's feel so good. enjoyable. No, I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you weren't expecting. I'm a gawk. No. <laughs> Sorry, I know. Be a Not one even Miles Teller's oiled pecs could. I don't think I got as far as well. That's as, why. As that's, why. Uh, that's probably what it was. Uh, uh, Owen on Twitter says one of the greatest lines from Succession was when Roman refers to a meal with Shiv and Tom as dindids with fire crotch and normcore. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that. 
<laughs> now there is a succession podcast called After It. Oh, so, uh, so that went on to have a bit of a life elsewhere, uh, it should be said. Right, so what's our second beer of the day, Dean? We have got Derek's Single Hop American IPA. So this is from the family series. It's a range of beers that they've done um, uh, because of the, the legacy that they've got over six uh, generations. Now, in, in a large um, brewery, there'd be a, a, a kind of a large corporate conglomerate. There'd be a danger um, that uh, some bean counter would look at these two beers and say they're kind of too close to each other. Um, so we're just going to do one or the other. Mm. Um, when you've got a family brewery, they can kind of do what they want to do. So yeah. they've uh, got two beers now. There, there are uh, quite an amount of differences um, between them. We're looking at 3.8% for the first one versus 6.1%. So we're, we're up to the kind of normal um, IPA kind of strength uh, with this. It's an IPA versus an IPL. So it's kind of a classic American IPA. Um, and uh, with that bump up in ABV, you've got a bit more substance to the flavour. Yeah. So yeah. The, the malt flavour that's coming through rather than being kind of a crisp wheat cracker type uh, malt character with this, it's more um, marshmallow belt, uh, blended with biscuits, uh, kind of those uh, caramel biscuits that you have with your coffee, a little bit of uh, caramel in, in it. Um, the uh, richness of the beer, it's, it's a, a fuller beer, it's got an awful lot more substance to it. And again, that would be um, helped along by the 6.1% ABV. And then again, superb hop character in it, um, tropical fruit, pineapple, uh, citrus coming through, mandarin orange. Uh, sometimes when you, when you get citrus and a little bit of background bitterness, that can combine and give you a, kind of a, a grapefruit impression. And again, as an American IPA, it's got that pine character as well, um, but the pine is a bit more assertive. The uh, IBUs on this, the, the bitterness, it's it's reasonably high for a beer, uh, kind of in mid-range for uh, an IPA. It's at 48. Uh, so to put that into context, Budweiser would be about 8. Heineken would be about 20. Um, so it's about twice the bitterness of, mm. of uh, uh, Heineken. But it's really, really well blended into the beer. Ah, you know, yeah, it's not it, at it, all it, like you're not yeah, shivering or... It, yeah. it, 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 things. So, yeah, again... Um, uh, classic American IPA, really good hop character, kind of delicious flavour, a little bit more strength to it. Maybe you wouldn't get away with this if you were doing dry January. Uh, uh, maybe months. not. Maybe but not. Maybe no. towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> maybe around the 20th. Around the, yeah. <laughs> uh, around, the, around the end of it, that'd be, that'd be grand. Right, so uh, is there going to be a Lizzie McGuire reboot or not? No, there was supposed to be and then Disney pulled the plug on it, essentially, and we're finding out the reasons why this week. So one of the writers was talking on TikTok, as we mentioned it, uh, Jonathan Horowitz, he was talking about what would have been covered because I think people, for oh, well, I certainly did anyway because I grew up watching Liz McGuire and I thought it went for like seasons and seasons and seasons, but actually it was only like two or three seasons, but it just <laughs> was repeated so often. Anyway, there was this whole Disney Plus series that was shot and written and he's been detailing like what would have happened with uh, the reboot. Um, Liz McGuire would have ended up with uh, Ethan Kraft who was kind of the hot I think he played hockey in the show he was kind of hot dum dum essentially he was divine mm. but I think people thought she was going to end up with Gordo because that's what happens at the end of the Liz McGuire movie spoilers flat if anyone hasn't seen that sorry for ruining that for you <laughs> but they do kiss at the end of that movie so I think people thought her and Gordo were going to get together but no basically I think she was just kind of living her best single gal life but it was the storyline around her sleeping with Ethan this is the writer speculating. This is okay. never confirmed. Yeah. But he was. But it, there was all these things that it was like we want adult Lizzie, whatever. But I think Disney were like, oh, fair enough. But Liz McGuire is a Disney property, which is essentially yeah. a children's corporation. And the writer speculating that it was that particular storyline that they were like, yoink, we absolutely cannot do this. So she went on and did How I Met Your Father, which I think people were kind of 
investing or taking as a surrogate Lizzie McGuire reboot, but that's been cancelled now as well. And I don't actually think that was up to scratch really anyway. So okay. All right. anyway, maybe, well. yeah, maybe just as well, just leave it. Just leave, leave it, it, yeah. Go. We can just leave yeah. some things, it's fine. Yeah, uh, going back to uh, the BAFTAs, Greta Gerwig literally broke every record in the world held by a female director, says this texter, yet she doesn't get nominated for a BAFTA. Uh, someone else says, it's a joke that Barbie wasn't nominated. It plays into the narrative that a movie needs to be serious, dark and depressing in order to win a BAFTA. Hopefully the Oscars have more sense this week. I wonder, will they? Is there, I, is, is there a sense that Barbie's running out of steam a little bit? No, I, I don't think so. I kind of would have said, well, if running out of steam in the sense of they being recognised by the award. Like, I mm. do think it should be nominated for way more, but I just think I'd be shocked now if the Oscars became the outlier being like... I don't know. I, I, what do you think? I think it'll be nominated for everything at the Oscars. Uh, but right. the only chance it has of winning, uh, the only categories that it might triumph in is maybe adapted screenplay, set, you know, for special effects, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Song, I'd say. But, yeah. I think Billie Eilish should get it for the song. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, but I don't see it being, I don't see it winning Best Picture. And I don't think films need to be dark and moody to everything everywhere all at once triumphed there last year yeah, that's absolutely. not dark movie yeah. it's a lot of fun yeah. cartoonish even uh, but do, do you see it getting the best movie nom even or yes. best director oh nom? it will oh yeah. definitely yeah oh there'll be uproar if Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for best director at the Oscars forget about the you know uproar over Andrew Scott and Lily Gladstone not getting yeah. after nominations if they're not nominated at the Oscars there'll be riots yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. We look forward to the rights. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, are there any hoppy non-alcohol IPAs that taste as good as that one? Uh, I, I think they're referring to the first beer we had, which is actually the IPL that we drank. Yeah, um, there are a few breweries. I've got it on the spot now in terms of non-alcoholic IPAs. There are definitely a number of breweries that are doing non-alcoholic IPAs. Um I'm, and I'm trying to think of uh, ones because I've, I've uh, haven't done an exercise in non-alcoholic. There are some out there you can get them, but uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of of, of a, a really good one. Uh, most of the time, with the, with the IPAs, I tend to head to the, the other end of the spectrum in terms of ABV. I tend yeah. To... <laughs> okay. Uh, and Brian in Dublin says uh, Top Gun Maverick was just a lazy literal remake of the original. It wasn't. Go find some joy, <laughs> Brian, Brian, in your life. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm just reading out Brian's opinion. No, it's, uh, stop shooting the messenger here. <laughs> It, listen, Brian, who dies in Top Gun Maverick? Nobody. So it's not a remake. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, sorry for spoiling it. Yeah, okay. We uh, are going to move on to our second uh, uh, movie of the day. It's uh, the one about uh, drowning and all the rest of it. That's the end we start from. Here's a clip. No, it's okay. I'll come back for you uh, when things are calmer. There'll be food here. It'll be good for you both. Okay. Okay, well, no, 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 none of us will go. No, you have to. No, we'll just we'll just keep driving. If you're here, you're safe. Good. I can't protect you. I can't protect you, Walter. And it will feel good to just know that. You're I don't safe. give a f. What will feel good? We have a baby. I know. No, you have a baby. We're a family. I feel like I'm dying. I will let you down. We stay together. We stay together. Right, okay. Um, 
It does beg the question why anyone would choose to have a baby when the wor- end of the world is imminent. But yeah. uh, do they address that at all? They do not, no. But, uh, <laughs> but you could say that the whole thing is this heavy-handed metaphor for like the pressures of new parenthood, the pressures of, of, of motherhood. Um, starts brilliantly. Uh, Jodie Comer is obviously the lead. Nobody in this film has a proper name. The only person that has a proper name is the baby. The baby's name is Zeb. Everyone else is just like um, listed in the credits as like or or OB. Um, but I don't think anyone actually huh. calls anyone by, by, their, by their name. Um, but we do begin with Jodie Comer's character, her water breaking just as London begins to flood. So okay. that, there's again, a heavy hand. Heavy hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she gets to the hospital. Joel Fry, her partner, is there to assist. But the doctors are saying to everyone in the hospital, um, once we're finished with you, you need to go. And once you get outside, you can't go back home. But London is just underwater. Things are so things are just falling apart. Society is crumbling. So fortunately, Joel Fry, her partner, his parents live in the countryside. So they head for the hills, as does everyone else. Um, and Granny and Grandad portrayed by uh, Nina Sasania and Mark Strong brilliant that great cast um, mm. they remember to stock the pantry which is just as well because they're going to be living there for a while this is definitely not a temporary crisis the world is falling apart the UK is, is, is falling apart but if obviously months pass and you know the food eventually runs out and the family then is forced to split up to seek out supplies so straight away you're thinking that is not going to end well you don't yeah. need a crystal ball to see where that's going um, jo- long story short jo- Jodie Comer is Left by herself, uh, Joel Fry disappears for an awful lot of the film and kind of setting up shop in one camp and then another. Um, you have Jodie Comer making friends with another young mother uh, portrayed by uh, Catherine Waterston. And her character says, you know, she has all these stories of this, you know, utopian society kind of maybe just off the off the coast of the UK. That's where I'm going. A friend has promised to send a boat. Why don't you come with me? But all the while, Jodie Comer's thinking, well, I need to get back to my family. So we're kind of following Jodie. It's, it's her film as she tries to survive pretty much the end of times in the UK while also, you know, trying to, you know, find a, a peaceful spot to feed her baby, basically. Right, okay. And uh, and that's, if you like, that's the arc of the film? Or that is, is that the question the film sets up? What does Jodie do? What does yeah. Jodie do? Yeah, yeah. That would have been a great title, actually. Yeah. And we start from What Does Jodie Do? Um, and she makes this film work. Everyone, the actors make this film work. Um, and that's no kind of, a, I mean, it it, it, it was a quite a successful novel by Megan Hunter. Alice Birch is a, a terrific screenwriter and she does well to bring it to the big screen screen as well as the director Mahalia Bello it just is a little bit unfocused at times because it doesn't really know whether it wants to be this kind of preachy clarified disaster or this you know decorated allegory for you know the pressures of parenthood and and sometimes it just gets a little bit confused and it gets a little bit unfocused I mean there there's a sequence in the middle which didn't really make an awful lot of sense to me Benedict Cumberbatch comes in he funded the film he mm. I think he acquired the rights to the film before the novel was even published yet like six or seven years ago and there's a sequence where the characters cross paths with him and he starts kind kind of talking in that way that you know sometimes characters do in post-apocalyptic thrillers we need to uh, I don't want to go back to I don't want to pretend that you know this uh, that the world before didn't didn't exist you know people want to forget about before why are you talking like that it's been five minutes like yeah. you know it's, it doesn't make any sense yeah. and there's a scene where him, himself and the other characters get drunk and they dance and it's just like this is all well and good watching Jodie Comer and Benedict Cumberbatch and Catherine Waterston drink and dance but I thought we had a survival thriller to be getting on with here yeah. um, so it does get a little bit uh, uh um, uh, unfocused but there is some really good work in here Joel Fry is terrific Mark Strong is always uh, worth a punt um, and it's Jodie Comer's film so I'd say it's you know get on it it's only going to be in cinemas for a short while before it's available for streaming but it does deserve to be seen and a wonderful little sci-fi score in there as well the music is brilliant Okay, are there zombies? 
Right, there is, are no is, zombies. Is there peril in, no, water, in any sense? What, it's water, Sean. Okay. Lots but but water. Uh, have they <laughs> no. moved to the home counties where there is no uh, water or whatever? Uh, the, the, the biggest threat is just this idea. And actually, this is quite terrifying that, you know, how close we are to it all just falling apart. Yeah. That, it, that if you take away our technology, if you take away, you know, if, if it just, if a little bit of rain and just people lose their minds, that is quite terrifying. <laughs> Every time the characters in this film go searching for food, um, you know they, they're at risk of losing their life, um, yeah. and yeah, so it is quite scary. That's it, it, the, the 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 scariest things are the things that will actually happen. Okay, at the, at the end of time. Okay, you could say a little bit of rain and people lose their mind would be a good slogan for the film. Wouldn't work in Ireland, no, uh, as a movie. No, uh, but they can have uh, that the poster. Yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, thanks to uh, Chris and Dean and Fanuna. That's our lot for today. Movies and booze. I'm Moncrief with Marks and Spencer on News Talk.